This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Pray with me before we get started, please. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, uh, now as we come before your word, would you please unstop ears and open blind eyes, soften our hearts that we would hear the truth and the grace and the mercy and the hope, the peace that you have for us in your word. And Father, through it and through the power of your spirit, would you call us and cause us to desire you and want more of you and, and yearn to be shed of this flesh that we could see you face to face. Father, our only hope in this is, is our Savior and what He has accomplished for us. So it is in His name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 this morning. If you want to start heading there in your Bibles, where as we continue our summer series of passages that our culture has taken out of context, this morning we're going to see a a well-known passage where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. But before we get there, let me give you a little bit of background so you know where we're at. Revelation 3, our passage this morning will begin in verse 14, is the last of seven letters that Jesus had John write to seven churches in the first century. What I think is interesting, though, is how clearly... These seven letters still relate to churches that we would recognize today. For example, in his first letter, Jesus spoke to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very doctrinally sound, theologically mature church, but they had become stagnant and unloving. And to Jesus, or to them, Jesus said, Remember your first love. Thyatira, on the other hand, was exactly the opposite. Thyatira was the compassionate liberal church. They had homeless ministries and food drives and service projects, but they had forgotten how important doctrine and truth is. And to them, Jesus said, remember that your doctrine needs to match your heart. Smyrna was like the persecuted church in an anti-Christian country. They were, they were slandered and, and beaten and harassed and, and, and horrible things, but, but they were very spiritually strong. And to them, Jesus said, don't stop. Keep being faithful. Pergamum, on the other hand, was like a passionate, evangelicalistic, but, but kind of immature college church. They, they, they had begun to compromise with the world to be relevant. And to them, Jesus said, you need to be more discerning. Sardis was kind of like a flashy megachurch. They were filled with great music and inspiring sermons and, and incredible programs and nominal Christians. And to them, Jesus said, wake up. You look like you're alive when really you're dead. Philadelphia was like a small storefront church in the inner city. They felt powerless and unimpressive, but they were a very strong and healthy church. And to them, Jesus said, keep doing what you're doing. 
Which brings us to Laodicea, the church we're going to look at this morning. Laodicea was the swanky, affluent, influential church in the Burbs. They were comfortable. They thought they had everything they needed. But their affluence, as it so often does, had led to an apathy. In fact, the only thing that matched their material wealth was their spiritual poverty. So look at verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, where John writes, And to the angel of, of the church in Laodicea, Jesus says, Write the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And later in verse 18, we're going to hear this faithful witness's counsel. There's a commercial that's been around for years where a, a very distinguished Hispanic gentleman is sitting in a booth counseling you on why you should buy his drink. And at the end of all of his commercials, he always ends with, Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty. This morning, I want you to hear Jesus say something similar. This morning, kind of like that distinguished Hispanic Gentlemen in the booth, I want you to hear the counsel of this trustworthy, eternal witness. This morning, I want you to hear him say to us, Stay needy, my friends. Stay needy. Look at verses 15 through 17, where he begins by telling us, Stay needy, my friends, because the apathy of, influ of affluence makes me nauseous. He says, stay needy because the apathy of affluence makes me nauseous. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now to understand why Jesus is saying this, let me tell you a little bit about Laodicea. Laodicea was situated along a major trade route in between two other cities. Uh, the one to the north was Heropolis and the one to the south was Colossae. Now Heropolis in the north was known for its hot springs that were thought to have medicinal value. Whereas on the other hand, Colossae to the south was known for its ice cold spring water that was kind of like the, the, the Perrier of the Roman Empire. However, Laodicea had neither. Their water was, was piped in via an aqueduct about, from, about, from hot springs that were about five miles to the south. And by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot, nor was it cold. It was just tepid. So Jesus is comparing their spiritual state with something they would have been very familiar with. However, outside of its water problem, Laodicea's location made it an extremely wealthy town. It was full of banks and bankers and financiers and, and millionaires. In fact, it was so wealthy that, that, it, that when an earthquake in 61 AD leveled the city, they declined Rome's offer to help them rebuild it. They didn't need it. However, as is so often the case, their wealth had caused them to stagnate. Anne Sokonoff, the editor of the American Heritage Dictionary in the 90s, combining the words of influenza 
and affluence coined the term affluenza to describe the malaise that so often comes with material wealth. In other words, Jesus is telling Laodicea that they have a severe case of affluenza. But their malaise isn't a physical one, it's a spiritual one. Look at verse 17 again. Jesus says, you think you have prospered and need nothing when really, he says, you're just the opposite. You're poor, blind, wretched, naked. Picture yourself at a party. And at this party, there's a young woman who is very beautiful. And she knows it. She's enjoying prancing around this party, getting all the guys to look at her, right? But what this beautiful young woman doesn't realize is that the reason all these people are looking at her is because she has about a 25-foot-long piece of toilet paper stuck to her high heel that she's been dragging around this party for two hours now. That's Laodicea. A fabulously wealthy church that wasn't all she thought she was. Now, don't get me wrong, they are believers. As far as they were concerned, Jesus just fit nicely into their retirement portfolio. And to that, Jesus said, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Yikes. Many years ago, my family was on vacation in Pagosa Springs, and we were staying in a hotel. And this is a hotel that had two beds. And I was staying, sleeping on the inside of one of the beds with Shannon and my other oldest daughter, who was, I don't know, five, six, seven at the time, was sleeping on the inside of the other bed. And I was awoken, raised from the dead more like, in the middle of the night by that sound of a child vomiting. However, between being raised from the dead and standing up too fast, I was really lightheaded. And so I, I put my hands on my knees and I, and I took a big breath to try to orient myself. What I didn't know, however, was because we had the blinds closed and this room was pitch black, is that when I kneeled down, I had actually put my face about three inches above the bed where my daughter had just vomited. And I took a big breath. <laughs> Needless to say, Shannon wasn't very happy that she had to change the kids and the beds and everything else at 2 a.m. by herself while I sat on the edge of the bed trying not to vomit. My point is, Jesus says that Laodicea's apathy makes him feel a lot like I did. He's trying to hold back his throw up. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be Jesus' vomit. Which means we have to stay needy. Because even though it may not seem like it, historically speaking, we are easily in the top like 0.01% of churches in terms of wealth that have ever lived historically. Meaning those things that we might be tempted to look at for our security, our incomes, our insurance, our retirement plans, our educations, all those things we might be tempted to look at for security, they can leave us feeling a lot more like Laodicea than we might want to admit. I want you to think about it this way. When was the last time that you were desperate for Jesus to provide for you. And I mean desperate, like you weren't sure if you were going to have a roof 
or a meal or clothes if Jesus didn't do something? When was the last time that you weren't sure if you were going to make it out of a situation alive? Like the circumstances said that death was imminent, and if Jesus didn't do something, those were going to be your last moments on earth. Or when was the last time you were worried about whether or not you might make it to heaven, desperate? Like you looked at the Bible and you looked at your life and you thought, I don't know how Jesus is going to pull this off. Because you see, I believe at least most of us in here can prob- can't probably remember the last time we felt, felt that way. That kind of desperation. That kind of need. Now please listen to me, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that your job is wrong or what you have in your pantry is wrong. I'm not, well, if it's kale, that's wrong, get it out. But not that kind of stuff. I'm saying that because of our sin, we are prone to take for granted that everything we have is not only from Jesus, but sustained by Him. Just because we have stable jobs and decent incomes and nice homes, that doesn't mean those things are guaranteed, nor did we somehow cause them. No, everything we have was given us by Christ, and we need Him to sustain it every minute of every day. So stay needy, my friends. Stay needy, because the apathy of affluence makes Jesus nauseous. Now we're going to come back to that. But look at verse 18, where Jesus continues. He says, stay needy, my friends, because only I have what you need. He says, only I have what you need. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, first, I want you to notice that Jesus counsels the Laodiceans to buy three things from him. He wants them to buy from him gold that's refined by fire. He wants them to buy white garments and salve for their eyes. Now, the reason I want you to see that is because, again, Jesus is confronting very specifically their perceived self-sufficiency. See, I've already covered that they thought they were rich, but Jesus says, no, you're poor. You need to buy gold from me. But the Laodiceans were also known for, a very, for, for an incredibly rare jet black wool that their sheeps produced. Think of it this way. If purple was reserved for royalty in Roman times, black was reserved for the elite, for the mega wealthy. So think of, of Laodicea kind of like a Saks Fifth Avenue of the Roman Empire, but Jesus says no. But they were also known for a special eye salve that was sold all over the world that could heal eye problems. But, but Jesus says that every part of the market that they thought they had cornered was actually worthless. They thought themselves rich, but Jesus says, no, you're poor. You need my gold. They thought they sold the finest wool in the world, but Jesus says, no, you're naked. You need to buy white garments from me. And they, they thought they were on the cutting edge of ocular health. And Jesus said, no, you're blind. You need my help to see. Stay needy, my friends. Because look, Jesus is so cool. Look at the beginning of verse 18. He says, you need to buy from me gold, clothes, and eye salve. Okay, Jesus, I'll bite. How much is this gold and clothes and eye salve you have to sell? And keep in mind, 
that I am an Amer I mean a Laodicean, and I'm a savvy business person. And Jesus says, oh, I, I didn't know that. It's free. I'll just give it to you. But you have to believe that you need it. I'll give it to you for free if you think you need it. You just need to believe you need my riches and my clothes to cover your shame. And you have to believe that you need me to help you see this clearly. Stay needy, my friends. Because not only does Jesus alone have what we need, but he'll give it to you for free for simply believing you need it. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in this Jesus that I'm talking about, there's something that you need. Listen, when I say this, there is something you need far more than money or clothing even or medical help. You need the wealth of knowing the one who owns everything that was ever created. Because without him, you'll have to give an account to God for your sin alone. So you need the perfectly white robes of righteousness that only he can provide. And most of all, you need him to point out, to open your eyes, that you can see that you need him. If you feel that happening this morning, like your eyes are, are being opened to your need for him, please pick somebody in this room and talk to them. Me, if you need to. However, for those of you who do believe, look at verse 18 again. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so you can clothe yourselves in the shame of your nakedness, and eye salve for your eyes so you can see. Verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So somehow, if you look at verse 19, what Jesus is saying is that he is reproving and disciplining them so that they would repent and be zealous. So somehow whatever they're doing is not zealous. Now, I have to admit, I struggled with this text a lot this week. I mean, what does zealous have to do with hot and cold water and vomit and buying free things from Jesus? I mean, throwing some cotton candy, and that sounds kind of like a, a youth group trip to a water park. So let me walk you through this, because I want you to be just as amazed as I was when God illuminated this to me. And I know I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, so bear with me. I'm going to go through this a few different directions to make sure we understand it. So what is the connection between being hot or cold at the beginning and zealous at the end with something about buying something from Jesus in the middle? What's the connection? Well, first, back in verse 15 and 16, we need to understand what Jesus means by hot or cold. Because many think he's talking about their spiritual state, like hot would be Belief and cold would be unbelief, but that's not it. 
You see, as I said earlier, the, the water from Heropolis was hot and medicinal, and the water from Colossae was cold and drinkable, and Laodicea was in the middle. They were neither. In other words, when Jesus says that the Laodiceans are neither hot nor cold, he means they're useless. He means they're useless. They're not hot enough to be medicinal or cold enough to drink. So what is useful and what does that have to do with zeal? Well, an Anglican bishop in the 1800s named J.C. Ryle wrote on this, and I want you to listen closely to his definition of zeal. He said, Zeal in a Christian is a burning desire to please God, to do His will, and to advance His glory in the world in every way possible. It is a desire which is not natural to men or women. It is a desire which the Spirit puts in the heart of every believer when they are converted to Christ. However, a desire which some believers feel so much more strongly than others that they alone deserve to be called zealous men and women. So zeal, as he defines it, is that burning desire to please God, to do His will, to advance His glory in the world in any way possible. In other words, Jesus is saying zeal is being useful to God's plan to spread His glory and His gospel. So that connects useful with zeal, but what about buying things from Jesus? Well, the simple fact of the matter is, is if you don't think you need anything from God, if you, don't think, if you think you have everything covered, then what reason would you have to spread His glory? In other words, stay needy, my friends. Because when you're needy, you'll look to God for that which only He can provide. And when He provides for you so much more extravagantly than you can imagine, you'll be useful because you will have a burning desire to advance His will and spread His glory. In other words, when we stay needy, we stay useful. Because we'll be zealous for God and His glory. Let me say that another direction. The way to have a burning desire to spread God's glory is to recognize how much He has and continues to lavishly provide for you for free. The only way you can recognize it is if you think you need it. So I say again, stay needy, my friends, because when you stay needy, you will see how God is providing for you in ways you can't imagine. When you stay needy, you'll experience in real time the lavish grace of your Savior that will kindle in you this burning desire to do His will and advance His glory in the world. Which means, listen, when we stay needy, we stay useful. I mean, honestly, don't you sometimes wish you had more zeal? Like, I want to be that person who's on fire for God, but I just can't get it. And, and maybe sometimes I do, and I can't hold on to it. Well, listen, what Jesus is saying is the reason we don't feel that burning desire or we can't hold on to it is because we don't stay needy. So look at how verse 20 
says, stay needy, my friends, because that's when we'll open that door. That's when we'll open that door. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So I ask you this morning, can you hear him knocking? Can you hear your Savior knocking? Can you hear him knocking on the door of your heart, offering you that which only he can provide? And not just that, that what he can, only he can provide, but that which he will, that will set you on fire. Let me put it that way. You see, our culture has altered this passage to mean that Jesus is knocking on the door of the hearts of unbelievers, like, let me in and believe in me. But not only is that concept nowhere in the Bible, this passage is about Jesus knocking on the hearts of believers. He's talking to his church. He's patiently waiting and knocking until we're needy. However, for too many Christians, Jesus is like the used vacuum salesman that, that comes to the door that we shoo off the porch. Because outside of extreme circumstances, we don't need what he's selling. We think we're the ones who got good grades and put the work into learning. We think we're the ones who paid their dues and, and worked our way up to the good jobs that we have. We think we're the ones who sacrificed and budgeted and socked away the money that's in our retirement accounts. When the truth is, not only would we have none of that without Jesus, but we also couldn't keep any of it without Him. Who is the one who blessed us to even live in a time and a place where lives like we live is possible? And who is the one who gave you the mind that you used to get where you are in your life? Jesus is the one who granted to us all of these things. And more than that, Jesus Christ is the one who sustains the very breath in our lungs while we do it. Every day, every single thing we have is because Jesus has blessed us to have it. But that's just the trivial stuff. That's just the stuff that's going to burn. Jesus is also the one who gave us his perfect life. So every minute of every day, we can have the peace that we won't stand in judgment before a perfect God when we die. Jesus is the one who bled on the cross to pay the price for our sins so we wouldn't have to pay it in hell for eternity. And look at verse 21. He even invites you to sit on the throne with him. I guarantee you that's not because of anything we did. But because of everything that we needed him to do for us. And listen to me. Not only do we need Jesus because he did everything for us, but he is the only one who has the power to keep us from screwing it up. And he did it all for free. Earlier, Bob gave us the, read that prayer where it talked about a bucket without a bottom. That that's kind of what we are. We're this were these buckets without a bottom. I, I, would, I would encourage you to think about that metaphor. 
If we're buckets without bottoms, then how do we stay full of that water? The only way you can stay full of water is if you submerge that bucket in the water. Then that bucket without a bottom is still full. We need to be buckets who understand that we need to be submerged in Christ to stay full. That as soon as we are removed from Him, we are dry, cracked, worthless vessels. Brothers and sisters, stay needy, my friends. Stay desperately needy. Because when you're needy, you'll recognize His provision. And when you see His ongoing, lavish, new, every morning provision, you'll have a consuming desire to spread the glory of such an incredible God to anyone who will listen to you at your job, at your school, in the store, in the street, if no one will listen to you. Earlier, I read from you a, a bit from J.C. Ryle about this zeal. I want to close by reading the rest of it to you. Speaking of, of those Christians who have an unquenchable zeal, Ryle writes, he says, This desire is so strong that when it really reigns in a person, it compels them to make any sacrifice, to go through any trouble, to deny themselves anything, to suffer, to work, to labor, to toil, to spend themselves and be spent, and even to die, if only they can please God and honor Christ. A zealous Christian is consumed by one thing. It is not enough to say that they are earnest or strong or uncompromising or meticulous or wholehearted or even fervent in spirit. They only see one thing. They care for one thing. They live for one thing. They are swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether they live or die, whether they are healthy or sick, whether they are rich or poor, whether they please man or give offense, whether they are thought wise or foolish, whether they are accused or praised, whether they get honor or shame, for all these things the zealous person cares nothing at all. They have a singular burning passion for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance His glory. Even if they are themselves consumed in the very burning of their passion for God, they don't care. They are content. They feel like a candle. They were made to be consumed by their burning passion for Christ. Can you hear Him knocking to, for that? Stay needy, my friends. Stay desperately, desperately needy. And watch the lavish provision of your Savior grow in you a zeal that cannot be quenched by this world. From the lips of those you saved, a redemption song will rise with a sound so full it cracks the sky. Stand with me, please, and let's make this our song and let God hear the sound of his saints' zeal.